Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Matt Connor Whiteley, bringing you psychology news and easy to understand and engaging psychology facts. For more information and the backlist episode show notes and more information on psychology topics, please go to connorwhiteley.net and I hope you enjoy the show. everyone and welcome to episode 29 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. Today's episode is on legal systems, adversarial and inquisitorial, and it's Saturday the 2nd of May as I record this. So, moving on to the psychology news section, and I'll tell you in the personal update why I'm recording this on a Saturday at 25 to 5 in the afternoon. <laughs> so, again, I'm reading from the British Psychological Society Research Digest, and there's actually some really interesting articles this week. So the first one is researchers found that people believe in climate change more than global warming. But and just reading that, I'm thinking, why? Because they are the exact same thing, basically. But word choice no longer seems to matter. So the article reads, one of the biggest political challenges of this era is getting powerful people to take the threat of climate change seriously. The most straightforward way to do that would be bottom up pressure. If the people who voted demand that their leaders take a certification against climate change, then politicians will have no choice to do so, at least if they want to get into office or to say that. The major challenge to this in turn has been the lingering influence of climate denialism, disbelief in the reality that of the cause of climate change or in the seriousness of the problem. What can be done to combat climate denialism? So a 2011 study suggested one possible partial remedy framing the issue a bit differently research found that 75 percent of americans which i'm sorry americans you have the potential to do so much it's a shame that quite a few americans are in denial about climate change sorry so um going back to the article research found that 75 percent of americans expressed belief in climate change but only 67 percent in global warming but now a new study has failed to replicate this result it's not entirely clear why word choice didn't seem to matter this time around, but it could be related to the fact that climate change has become more politicised over the past decade. So I think this is a really interesting article because hopefully, you know, because hopefully this shows that Americans, and to be honest, this article should not really single out Americans because tons of people all over the world are in climate change denial. I know that my grandparents and in my personal experience, it's mainly the older generation who are in climate change denial. I've also met younger people who are, and it's just that it is a shame. And so hopefully, so hopefully this article shows that people are becoming more interested in climate change. So it'd be interesting to think. And actually, just speaking about this, it must have been week, must have been week before, or or this week. No, definitely last week. Is that there was this author on there who said coronavirus is a moderate threat which i completely agree considering what he said afterwards coronavirus despite being ridiculously serious is only mild compared to climate change because my mum immediately said well why sixteen thousand people and i just said well what's well what's more serious something that kills sixteen thousand people or something that kills seven million no sorry seven billion people so 
was this author, I really forget his name, but he made the brilliant point that hopefully the coronavirus will make countries work together. Despite me being an optimist, I'm not. I really hope coronavirus does mean that the world pulls together, but part of me doubts it sadly. Oh, right, so here's another interesting article. We're not good at spotting when someone has false memories of committing a crime. And this is. I've always loved false memories. I mean, yes, and I've actually wrote about them in my um, cognitive psychology book, which now has a second edition, but more on that soon in the personal update. So the article reads Our memories are not always reliable, but sometimes they're rich, textured, and vivid, even if they didn't happen. Flasher of memories, which you can read about in, in cognitive psychology. Research has suggested false memories often have the descriptive multisensory element of real memories, a fact that obviously opposes both interesting questions about memory itself and difficulties for relying on, on eyewitness encounters for evidence. But beyond the question of how people remember, there's another quandary. I think that's what it says. We are, as a derbers, able to tell if someone's memory is real or false. A recent paper suggests not. Well, the answer to that is, well, no, we aren't able to tell when somebody's a false, when somebody has a false memory because, because they seem so real. That's an interesting question. And we will just do one more. Oh, yeah, this is one that I really wanted to like, have a look at. So teenagers who believe they are particularly intelligent tend to be more narcissistic and happier with life. So it reads, very based on context or mood, most of us have a fairly steady belief in how intelligent we think we are. Whether that belief is in any way accurate or helpful is a different question. One at 2019 study found that people who were happily happier to admit they don't understand something actually had better general knowledge, whilst the study from the year before found that the majority of Americans believe they were smarter than average. We're also susceptible to the same falsehoods when it comes to those closest to us, tending to rate our romantic partners as more intelligent than they actually are. But... How early do these ideas of our own intelligence start, and how do they relate to other facets of our personality? A recent study found that teenagers who thought themselves as particularly intelligent tended to be more narcissistic and happier with life, but they didn't actually score any higher on I, on IQ tests. So I don't, I'm not sure if there's a lot I could say about this this article, except of course it is very interesting, and I've retweeted all the articles. Uh, um, on my Twitter feed at Sci-Fi Wiley, if you want to have a more detailed look at them, so I just think it's quite interesting, to be honest. Uh, to be honest, because it really just shows that our perception of reality and what reality actually is, well, isn't always, well, isn't always a true. And this actually plays a lot more into um, the senses, which which wasn't interesting to write about in my biological book, but it is interesting. So I hope you've enjoyed today's psychology news section, let's move on to the personal update. So moving on to the personal update, well the reason why I've been recording this um, at about 20 to 5, but it's now now quarter to 5, is because well, this week's been difficult because um, something quite tragic happened to a family member, I won't dwell on that. Let's just say um, a family, a dear family member has passed away, so it's been um, an interesting few days for all of us and, and, and the family. But moving on to more um, interesting and more positive things, 
I now have my second editions available. So I now have Abnormal Psychology, second edition, Biological Psychology, second edition, and I have my Cognitive, second edition available. Yes, and the interesting thing about this is that yes, they're all on pre order for $2.99 until the 29th of May 2020, then they will go up to $4.99, and this is dollars and pounds. If you go to payhip.com forward slash Connor Whiteley, you can actually get it for the same pre-order price of $2.99, but you can get it for now. So if you want this information right now, then you can get it right now when you go to payhip.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. Links in the show notes at connorwhiteley.net. So this is the book description for Biological Psychology 2nd Edition, which I really enjoyed writing this book. So book includes a link to free book. Do you want to know more about how our biology can impact our behaviour? Have you ever wondered the importance of sleep and the meaning of dreams? Do you want to learn how and why we experience the senses we do? If the answer is yes to any of those questions and more, then this is the book for you, as you'll learn a lot of great information about biological psychology and how our biology impacts our behaviour, all explained in an interesting and engaging way. By the end of this book, you would have learned and and discovered a lot of great facts about biological psychology on a wide range of topics. Buy today to start learning the fascinating topic of biological psychology. If you like this, then you will like Abnormal Psychology 2nd Edition as well. And some of the stuff that this book includes are history of psychology, research methods, localization, neuroplasticity, genetics, evolution, the nervous system, which there's a massive chunk on it. So like, which and that and that chapter I can honestly while I all the books I can honestly say that I'm proud of but that chapter that part I am really pleased with hormones pheromones sensations that was another good one vision hearing in other senses and sleeping the function of sleep and dreaming and there's a lot more content there as well so I'm uh, I'm really pleased with all of that and I would definitely encourage any psychology student or anyone interested in psychology to actually get it because it is interesting. Yes, then the print edition will come out a week before the 29th of May. So, yes, off the top of my head, that is the 29th, the 22nd of May. Then the audiobook, I might, I'm going to try and get it done before the before pre-order finishes, but are you, I really don't know, to be honest. So, you can also check out the other books on whatever your favourite ebook book stores like Amazon, Kobo, Nook, and everything else. So I hope you've enjoyed this personal update. Let's move on to the content of the episode then. So moving on to the content section of today's episode, we're going to be looking at the legal systems. So, and I've always loved this topic. A lot of people in my psychology module or lecture thing um when i did this module at university hated this section was this was that they called it not psychology and which in all fairness this isn't but it is linked to human behavior and is a key part of what forensic psychology is about so this is still important and this is uh, this is actually i don't know for maybe top three topics maybe in forensic psychology so i really enjoy so first of all we're going to look at the adversarial system and this is the legal system that's mainly used in the United Kingdom and the United States. And in this well, system, system, the trial is a contest between the prosecution and the defence. 
where they call witnesses, cross-examine and present evidence in order to try and win over the other. Furthermore, the question is governed by strict rules where the judges act as the umpire and the presumption being innocent or proven guilty. However, sadly we know that that is not always true as a lot as some people are treated as well guilty to guilty until proven innocent, which is a real shame because it's not right. It's the barrister's job to present a compelling argument for the offender's guilt. And this bit is something I and this next bit I, I actually found quite interesting because it's actually not the defence's job to prove innocence, it's only their job to challenge the soundness of the case. Which I found was quite interesting because I thought the defence's job was to prove the the client's innocence, but turns out it actually isn't. Additionally, when it comes to the burden of proof in the adversarial system, when it comes to a, a criminal cases, the burden of proof is a beyond a reasonable doubt. Doubt, and whereas in civil cases where a moral wrong has been committed, it's all about the balance of a probability. The easiest example I could use here is that when a criminal case, we need to be, you we need to be beyond reasonable doubt. We need to be pretty certain that X killed Y. But then in a civil cases, we just need to say that I don't know. Let's use another algebra term, which come on, none. Nobody likes algebra, but it's useful in this. We just need to be pretty sure that B is probably quite likely for the injury caused to C. That's just a really strange example. Then at the last point of the UK is that when the UK legal system and the US system was a compared, a number of a number of differences were found. Sorry, for example, the UK system in approved memory of evidence presented and jurors confidence in the verdict as well as the influence of, of the judge's non-verbal cues. And the main reason for this is because in the UK system, lawyers are confined to, well, I don't know, I, it's a little box, there's probably a proper name for it, but it escapes me now. But in the US system, as we all know from programs like Law and Order, and pretty much any single crime program, where they tend to like walk about and, and they tend to do some quite theatrical stuff, which... It's not good for, for the juror's memory because it can be a real distraction. So that's something to consider. But even though these differences were found, the two systems failed to demonstrate how the two different systems affected the uh, the uh, trial outcome. For example, um, example like they didn't find that, yes, the UK system improved the memory of the evidence, but it didn't lead to a higher outcome of guilty or, or um, not guilty, for example. So now we're going to move on to my absolute favourite type of legal system. But it's not for the reason that you think. So we're, going to, we're now going to look at the inquisitorial system, which I'm a massive fan of the um, war, of the um, war game and tabletop game Warhammer 40,000. And yes, judge me all you want, but it is a good one. And it strongly influences my own sci-fi fantasy fiction. So I'm really into the inquisition in Warhammer 40,000 because they're just they're just really overpowered and they have unquestionable authority and it's really quite good to what that they can do and pretty much no law applies to them so come on who would not like to, um, that to apply to them anyway so what the inquisitorial system is you've got to love that word is that this is the legal system that's mainly used in mainland Europe and the interesting thing about this is that judges play a greater role in the investigations. They can pretty much be referred to as investigating magistrates. So they can decide which witnesses to call and they can direct police efforts, which I think is quite interesting because I can definitely see why a lot of people think that 
the British adversarial system was formed out of the shortcomings of the inquisitorial system because surely you just need one corrupt judge who's linked to the case and well the entire case is ruined and I would actually love to go to Manland Europe and one day and actually witness the inquisitorial system firsthand. I just think it, I think it'd be a real experience. Yeah, so like another way to talk about the inquisitorial system is that the line between courts and then another line for police is a blurred because in the adversarial explanation, the police are one separate entity, then the judge and the prosecution service is another entity. However, for the inquisitorial system, such a good word this isn't the case case and this is because the judges have the more active role but and originally when i first um, read about this i was thinking well what's the point of having lawyers but lawyers take a more secondary role resulting in less procedural rules which i imagine some british lawyers and american lawyers would actually quite like because in my forensic psychology book because at the time of recording I was actually editing the the forensic psychology audiobook last night, and there's a track, yes, and there's a chapter that goes into the procedural rules. It's a really interesting, but it was just that there were so many like little rules and little like suggestions about how to give a, a really good argument. To be honest, you could probably use that information in that chapter to mount a really good court case. Well, if any of you are interested in becoming like lawyers, I'll definitely check out the forensic psychology book for that chapter um, alone. And another big difference between the adversarial jury, which is just 12 lay people, the inquisitorial jury, because it is quite questionable if it is a jury, is made up of a judge and lay people. And also in the book, I talk about um, that judges are a lot, are a lot more likely to um, convict and they tend to dominate discussions. So. I'm not quite sure if this is fair. It's like, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you want to learn more about forensic psychology, then please check out my book, Forensic Psychology, and it is available for free at your local library if you request it. So, have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you found it useful and engaging. Well, like, if you want the show notes, backlist episodes, and more information on psychology, on psychological topics, please check out connorwhitely.net. And if you want to get a free book, as well as other news about writing and psychology, then please check out. Yeah, but then please sign up for my newsletter at connorwhitely.net. Have a great week, everyone.